listening to the Prevailing Word podcast channel and also on our Prevailing Word live YouTube channel. I'm Pastor Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. Let's get right into the message. 1 John chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The world under wickedness. Each and every day we begin to see that man has become more perverse than the last hour. The perverseness of man is increasing in such a way that if you're not careful, you will buy their arguments. You will yield to their sway. They will influence you and tell you that their sin is not as bad as yours. One of the things that you have to understand about the Lord is that he tolerates no sin. And when we get into the word, we will see why he doesn't tolerate it. Go to the first chapter of uh, 1 John. The first chapter, and we will see that there is no tolerance for sin. So he begins by saying in uh, verse 3, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You see, a lot of us want to declare that we have fellowship with him, but there is the word of God that gives us what we need to do to be in fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. See, everybody wants to be associated with Jesus, but when it comes to the nitty-gritty of what is required to fellowship with him, then feathers are ruffled. Just hold your place there and go to the 17th chapter of the Gospel of John. The same author of 1 John is the same author of the Gospel of John. Chapter 17, look at verse 1. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. You see, eternal life isn't just received by anyone. First, it has to be given by the Father. That's what the scripture says, right? That he should give the Son eternal life to as many as you, Father, have given him. So you can't walk into this without the Father bringing you. You can't walk into this unless the Father draws you. The Father must draw you. He must pull on you. He must call you into this calling. Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life. You ever wanted to know what eternal life is? That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. 
That's what eternal life is. To know him. To know the only true God. And Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Go to the 8th chapter of the book of John. We are to know the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Now if you go to the 8th chapter of John, we will see what is required of knowing him. Look at verse 31 of John chapter 8. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if Here's a, here, here is a requirement, a condition. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, we like, we like to short circuit or shortcut this by saying, the truth shall make you free. You know, that's how we get around the first part. And you shall know the truth. How shall we know the truth? His word. To know the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ, is to know the truth. Not a fairy tale. Not a fiction. The truth. We ought to know him. And it is in the knowing of the truth that we shall be made free. And the truth shall make you free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall and the truth shall make you free. You see, you can't stay bound when you know the truth. The knowing of the truth is when you abide in, in his word. Put, in other words, put his word to practice. The saying was once said, practice makes perfect. But another quote, up the ante on that. Perfect practice makes perfect. In other words, like my coach back in varsity high school basketball would say, uh, the way you practice will be the way that you play in the game. If you're slack in your practice, you're going to be slack in your game. If you're intense in practice, you will be intense in the game. Abiding in his word means that you live in his word. You breathe his word. You can't get away from his word. His word wakes you up. His word keeps you up when you need sleep. His word disturbs your pleasure points. His word disturbs the iniquity that abides in you. The word disturbs your pursuit of sin. Your, the word pursuit, per, per, uh, destroys and, and, and obliterates the things that we love that are out there in the world. Because we abide so much in his word, we can't help but be a disciple. We can't help but know him. The reason why there is wickedness in the world is that because people do not want his word. People do not want to be free of sin. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? You see, their mentality was that I'm a Jew, I'm a descendant of Abraham, I got it like that. Never in bondage. I'm free because I am Abraham's descendant. But you see, being a descendant of Abraham isn't enough 
to be free. Abiding in his word is more than enough. In fact, it totally eclipses who you are as a descendant. And so they were just stuck, these Jews. They were stuck on the fact that I am Abraham's descendant. Now, we all know that when God gave Abram a promise, that Abraham, Abram or Abraham believed, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that's why they were able to say that we are descendants of Abraham, because they believed that they were under the righteousness of Abraham, and that they are no longer in bondage. But you see, it, it's not about being a descendant. It's about the word making you free. There's a lot of people that claim to be Christian. And then they tout their denomination. Even those who tout their non-denomination status. They call themselves the righteousness of God in Christ. But living in sin... You see, when you're living in sin, you're not free. You're in wickedness. Notice what Jesus said here in verse 32 again. And you shall know the truth. You shall know the truth. It's not about head knowledge. It's about a knowledge that is in the heart. You, you've come to perceive you come to learn. You come to understand this knowledge of Christ. So don't be stuck on your denomination or your affiliation with a religious sect. You got to be in Christ. And to be in Christ is to abide in his word. That's the differentiation between one that is wicked and one that is righteous. It's because the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly. How can you say, they asked him, you will be made free? Because they all thought that being in Abraham, they were free. But Jesus said in verse 35, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. That means that you could be in Abraham and still commit sin, which underscores the fact that you and I could be in bondage, even though we can declare that we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you see, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus is predicated upon the fact that you repented of sin, dead works, and you placed your faith in God through Christ Jesus, and you abide in his word. You live in it. And that's why some people think you strange when all you talk about is the word. When all you say is the word, you don't talk about TV shows, although you could talk about them, and some people do, and there's nothing wrong in and of itself depending upon the show you're watching. But you see, even in watching the show, you can, you can have so much of the word in you that it just comes out of you. It's like you're a sponge, and when an event takes place, the only thing that comes out of the sponge when it's squeezed is water. Remember what Jesus said, except the man is born of the water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That's John chapter 3 verse 5. The water of the word. You're supposed to be so immense in the word that you can't help but apply the word. That's why when I listen to certain things. The Holy Spirit always brings the word to bear on it. And I can't help but do exactly that. Never mind the call of God in my life. Never mind that I'm in a ministry. Never mind that I'm a pastor. I'm a believer. I'm supposed to be immersed in the word as a believer. I just don't look for sermons 
to, to, to preach to people on Sunday. I'm, I'm preaching out of the overflow of the word that is in me. You see, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And when the heart is full of the word, you can't help but speak the word. Even when you're watching a movie, you can't help but preach the word. Even when you're watching a show, you can't help but preach the word. Not because you're a preacher. Not because you got the call of God in your life. Not because you're in an office, but because you're a believer. You see, believers are supposed to be living in the word. And that's what differentiates us from the wickedness that is in the world. The word is in us to the degree that we despise wickedness. We are like Lot. The, world, the things of the world vex us. That we just can't sit in certain places. And, and just sit there and just soak that in. The word will tell you, I know that you spent $15 on that movie, but you better get up out of here. Because the Holy Spirit knows that he is at war with wickedness. And how dare we just sit there and suppress, our, su suppress the word and say, I spent $15, I'm gonna watch this. Well, the Holy Spirit's like, like saying, to your detriment, because, you know, some people say, well, I could just pray in, in an hour and I can get all that I lost back. No, you're not supposed to put cast your pearls to the swine, because the swine will tear up the pearls and then they'll turn and rend you too. Now you can do what you want. You can live however you want. You're a, you're a free moral agent. You can do what you want, but when you're so immersed in the word, you can't help but obey the word. You can't help but be obedient to the word. You can't help but do the opposite of what the world wants you to do. And that's what differentiates us between the world and us. Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You see, I don't want to be a slave of sin. I want to be a slave of righteousness. I want to be a slave of holiness. Because we all know that sin is a deliberate act of treason and conspiracy to oppose and defy God. It is a willful act that declares independence from God. The wickedness of this world is after one thing, to be able to sin in peace. Don't bother me when I'm in my sin. I don't want to hear any righteousness. I don't want to hear anything about holiness. I don't want to hear anything about the word. That's the way the world responds to the righteousness of God. So much so that there is a war against free speech. Here in the United States, we are the most blessed nation on earth. We have the ability to speak our mind and not get arrested for it, but that soon is coming to a close. And that's why I said what I said a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, that we need to memorize as much scripture as possible because the time will come where you will have to confess the name of Jesus with the word of God in you. And the Holy Spirit will begin to pull on the word that you stored. You gotta store up righteousness. You gotta store up the word on the inside of you. You don't wanna be a slave of sin. You wanna be a slave of righteousness. In fact, uh, go to um, Romans chapter 6. Here in Romans chapter 6, Paul gives us a very, very good reason of being a slave of righteousness. Romans chapter 6, notice in, uh, starting in verse 1. And Paul said this, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin 
live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, the differentiation between those that are walking in wickedness, the world under wickedness, and us, is that we have new life in us. We have the newness of life abiding on the inside of us because we have reckoned ourselves to be dead to sin. Dead to wickedness. You see, like I, like, like I shared last Sunday what uh, Vody Bauckham said, We've moved from sodomy to homosexuality to gay. We no longer call sin what is sin in the Bible. What we do is that we try to soften the blow so that way we can be received by the world. But you see, what the world has done is that they have imposed their wickedness on you and caused you to back up. Because you don't want to call sin what it is. Because you don't want to offend them. Not realizing that you're denying Jesus. And then when you deny Jesus, he will deny you. Call sin what it is. We're not here to make it easy. We're here to plant seed. If the Bible calls sodomy, sodomy, don't call it gay. You don't see gay in the Bible. That's what the world wants to call it, so that way the sin is not so obvious. But when you call it sodomy, it gets their attention. Don't even call it homosexual. Well, the Bible says homosexual in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 8. But you see, the word homosexual should have been catamites, which means men having sex with boys, pervert pedophiles. Then it says sodomy, those individuals that will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now we're living in a wicked world where men want to have sex with boys. We see that they're bringing drag queens no different than Deuteronomy 22 and 5, that men are wearing clothing of a woman. You see, what has happened is that in the church, what we, what we did is that we, we were so engrossed in the things of the world that we didn't mind uh, watching these TV stars, men, dress like women. And we laughed along with everybody, look at them in heels, ha, 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 false eyelashes, dresses. And we just laughed along like it was no big deal, but it was a big deal to God because in Deuteronomy 22 and five, he said, this is an abomination. The world wants us to back off. You see, we, we, we that are walking in newness of life have no tolerance for the wickedness in the world. Doesn't mean that we hate them doesn't mean that we've, we make fun of them. doesn't mean that we ridicule them. What it means is that we get the gospel to them because they need to be saved before they're destroyed from off of the face of the earth and end up in hell. Verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that an old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. So now we see how this ties in with John chapter 8 and verse 34. He that commits sin is a slave of sin. You see, when the new birth comes in on the inside of us, being washed of the water, which is the word, being washed by the spirit, which is the washing of water, uh, washing of water by the word Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, 
in verse 26, but also in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. You know what a slave is. Somebody that tells you what to do all the time. You are not you. You don't get to be you. You are a slave to sin. You're chained to it. Watch what verse 7 says. For he who has died has been freed from sin. You see, that's why Paul said what he said, uh, that we are to reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin. How shall we live in sin if we're dead to it? To be dead to sin means that you no longer respond to its urges and its impulses. Your flesh is crucified. You no longer obey the, the, the dictates of your flesh. You bring your flesh under control, under God's control, under God's rule, under God's dominion. For he who has died has been freed from sin. That means that if you're alive to sin, you're not free. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. You see, it's not just enough to be dead to sin. It's now that you are alive to Christ. You see, the more that you put distance to sin, the, the, the clearer his word becomes. The more understanding of his word comes. The more that you begin to live. I mean, just living the word is like being dependent upon the air that we breathe and the water that we, we drink. How many of you know that we cannot do without air? Because when air goes, we dead. But when we're alive to Christ, this is the air that I breathe. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He's not going to die for sin ever again. It's guaranteed. So that question, well, what's going to happen when we're all up in heaven? Is somebody going to sin? No, nope, there'll be no need for sin. Nobody is going to sin after this. Why? Because, see, if someone were to sin after this, then Jesus would have to die once again. So when we're all in heaven, none of us will have to worry about sin ever again. We won't have to worry about death ever again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. But at the same time, Paul is saying, alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, we're dead to sin. We don't respond to sin anymore. We now respond to Jesus. We respond to God. We respond to his word. And so the more that the word gets on the inside of us and we live and abide in his word, then we are his disciples. Then we are his adherents. Then we are the ones that practice lawfulness. We practice righteousness. That's how we know him. That's how we know the only true God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we know the truth and the truth makes us free. We are no longer alive to sin, but we're dead to it. But we're also alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, the more that you put distance to the sin that you love, the more the word of God comes alive in you. And the more that you want to get, you, you're, you're, you're getting to that point where you, you no longer have a broken fellowship with him. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. What does reign mean? It means to, to lord it over your mortal body. Do not let sin exercise lordship over your mortal body. 
that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God. Now remember, remember this phrase, present yourself to God. Remember what it says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. It says, it, it, it tells us in, in verse 2 actually, that we are not to be conformed to, the, to, to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We are to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. It's reasonable. A lot of believers believe that it's unreasonable for God for, for us to live righteous. Well, wait a minute. It's reasonable. Because where, where you're going with sin is hell. To burn forever. It's reasonable. In fact, it's beyond reasonable. Jesus suffered and died for me. And got me free from, from, the, from the power and the guilt of sin. It's reasonable. It's reasonable to abstain from pornography. It's reasonable to abstain from fornication. It's reasonable to abstain from adultery. It's reasonable to abstain from lying. It's reasonable to abstain from using the name of the Lord in vain. It's reasonable to keep the Sabbath holy. It's reasonable not to covet. It's reasonable not to murder, and that includes abortion. It's reasonable. So therefore we ought to present ourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness to God. In other words, your, your hands, your organs, your mind, your flesh. You don't yield these members to unrighteousness. You now yield these members to righteousness. For God's purpose. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the under law but under grace? You see, that's where the hyper grace message misses it. You see, you can always tell when a person is preaching their own word when they have no scripture to back it up. They're preaching their own word so that way you can pay attention to them and not to this Bible. And that's why you have to challenge every preacher, including me, with the Bible. Not with your reasoning, not with your arguments. You have to come with scripture because scripture interprets scripture. And so, all of a sudden, people say, well, since I'm not under the law, I guess I can go ahead and sin all I want. No, 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 no. That's not what grace is for. Grace is not so you can freely sin at will and get away with it. No. Grace is to help you abstain from sin. Remember what we saw in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, that we are, that, that, he that is born of God does not sin and that you keep yourself so when we're presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable unto God which is our reasonable service we are presenting our sla ourselves as slaves to righteousness so don't ever get in your mind that because you're under grace that you can get away with it no that's not what grace is for. Again, verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under, under law but under grace? And see, that's what happens to us. We always are looking for a loophole. You see, whenever we ask a question about a certain portion of Scripture as it relates to some place in our lives, it's because, first of all, we already know the answer. Why? Because... Romans chapter 2 and verse 15 says that God had written it upon our hearts. God has written his word upon our hearts and our conscience. 
We already know in our conscience that is wrong. That even if you don't have the, the black and black letters on white page, word of God, it's already in your heart. So for you to ask a question only underscores the fact that you're looking for a loophole, an excuse to justify performing or practicing sin. Verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death. See what sin leads to? It leads to death. So why should I practice something that's going to lead me to death? Sin, when it is finished, it says in, John, in James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The wages of sin, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. So sin only leads to death. So when I yield my members to be slaves of sin, it's only going to lead me to death. But if I yield my members to righteousness, which is the differentiation between wickedness, if I yield my members to righteousness, then that proves that I know him. It proves that I know the only true God and his son, the Lord Jesus. You are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. And see, that's the missing factor in many of our lives. Obedience. In Philippians chapter 2, Jesus learned obedience by suffering. Hebrews chapter 5 also said that he learned obedience. I was uh, watching John MacArthur. There was a person that put up a, uh, a YouTube video because people started walking out of John MacArthur's sermon. And... You know, in a, in a nutshell, uh, paraphrasing what John MacArthur said, I thought y'all liked the word. Because he was showing how believers must submit to Christ as wives submit to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. He was showing that that analogy of marriage is the same principle of how the church is to respond in submission to Christ. And people walked out. You kind of figured that people love the word. But I've come to realize that people love the word only when it doesn't concern them. When it concerns them, then they show where they are in terms of where they are abiding, or what they're abiding in. And when they're abiding in sin, when that word comes, they'll walk out. Reminds, reminds me of what John chapter 6 was about. Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they didn't want to have anything to do with it. And they all walked away. How to clear out a mega church? Start preaching the word. Even in a church such as Grace to You in California, pe people are getting the word every week, and then all of a sudden he speaks a word on how the church is to submit to Christ, and people walk out. Now, I kind of gave them a little uh, 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 space there. Perhaps they realized that it was the end of their message, and they wanted to beat everybody out to the parking lot. And I said, nah, that can't be. Because you know how it is with people. When a, when a word hits you, you and you can't stand it, you got to leave. Because it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit bringing the word to bear on an area in your life that doesn't look like Christ. And he hits that area. And hits that area, not because he just want to make you feel bad. It's because he wants you to line up with the scriptures. He wants you to line up with the word.
whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. You see, it's in obedience to his word that brings you into the position of righteousness and knowing the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's what differentiates you from the world. That what, that, you're, you're, you're a standout. You stick out like a sore thumb. When the world wants to go into the places of wickedness, you turn and go the other way. When your family wants to partake in wickedness, you go the other way. When your friends want to bring you to places of wickedness, you go the other way. You know how to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. Your relationship with God must be protected at all times, and you must never yield not one split second to the influences, to the contaminating influences of your friends and family that only want to pull you into their dark world. Even if it means that you get kicked out on Thanksgiving night. You're willing to please your, your heavenly father because you don't want to receive any contaminating influence. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't go to Thanksgiving dinner. I'm not saying don't go. You know, we are to be an influence wherever we go. But when you see that it rises to the level of persecution, Jesus said, let him flee to another city. You got every right to get up and go. So I'm not saying don't go to Thanksgiving dinner because they're going to they're going to tear up your heart. They're going to contaminate you. I didn't say that. But when you see them going in that direction, you hold your ground. You don't shrink for one second your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We got to learn to stop being afraid of the world. And that the world must be in fear, not of you, but of the God that you serve. Verse 18, and, ha and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. In other words, righteousness now owns your ways. Righteousness tells you where to go and what to do. You see, you, you'll know that you're listening to the Holy Spirit when he brings a word from the word of God to cause you to change direction, to, to never follow the flow of the world. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, Paul says, for just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. You see, you used to do all those things. You know, I, I used to think, what are unclean spirits? Immoral spirits. Spirits that are sexually perverts to get you to do all lawlessness and perverseness. But, but now you change from being a slave of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness because that's all sin is going to do. It's going to take you further than we, you were willing to go. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit do you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Or do you have any fruit? As far as sin is concerned, where's your fruit? It's called unfruitful. There's no fruit to account for. For the end of those things is death. What? The end of unrighteousness, uncleanliness, lawlessness. The end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin. See how that ties in again with John chapter 8? And verse 32, that you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. 
But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life, which ties in with John chapter 17. And this is eternal life, to, to know the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's everlasting life. And when you know him, it is because you know the word. It's just like when mom would, would tell us, you know better. You know the word. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Go to Matthew chapter uh, 7. This is, this is what it means to know the truth. And you shall know the truth. This is what it, what it means to know the truth. Matthew chapter 7. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied your name? cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name and then I will declare to them I never knew you you just you see to say that you are a Christian implies that you know him and that you know the only true God and his son the Lord Jesus Christ but you see if you do not do the will of God but you come to Jesus and say I've been the church I did church things but you're living in sin. You're a slave of sin. Jesus said, I, will, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, you always tell where a believer is or a professed believer is. What are they practicing? What are they practicing? When the word of Christ is dwelling in you richly, you can't help but practice righteousness. You're no longer a slave of sin, but you're a slave of righteousness. That's why when you see preachers giving interviews and the, and the third rail question is always asked, is homosexuality a sin? And you see them hee-hawing around it, you know they are a practitioner of lawlessness. Because when the word of Christ is dwelling on the inside of you richly, the first thing that comes out of your mouth is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 8, where it tells us that, no, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither homosexuals nor sodomites, etc., etc., shall inherit the kingdom of God. That's what should have flowed out of Joel Osteen. That's what should have flowed out of T.D. Jakes. That's what should have flowed out of Creflo Dollar and all of them. That no matter who is sitting in the audience, you come with nothing but his word because you are a representative of the head of the church or supposed to be. And you're supposed to give the people the word that's why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure a sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will heap up for themselves teachers having itching ears and will turn themselves to fables and turn themselves away from the truth. Nothing but the word should have flowed out of them. Oh, but didn't you listen to Jake's and all them? They gave the word, but did you listen to what they said as a preference, a, a preference to, to what they said to the word? Oh yeah, the Bible says that homosexuality is sin, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't hold that against them. I don't judge them. Wait a minute. You're a representative of the Most High God. You're a representative of the one that sent his son to die for sin. And you are going to dilute his word? This is a moment where you are sitting in front of not only an audience of one, but on Oprah Winfrey and all the other interviewers. Millions are listening to you. And you have the opportunity to give them the scriptures as written.
But no, you don't want to you don't want to ruffle any feathers. You don't want to offend them. And that's why this the whole world lies on, under the sway of the wicked one. It's because when we're presented an opportunity to give people the word, we give them what we think is the word. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, that's the difference between the ones that are wicked and the ones that are righteous. I will liken him a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on a rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, does not do them. You can sit in church and hear all the word that you want to hear and have this goosebump feeling of being preached to. Oh, preacher, preach me happy today. Oh, all right. That's all you got out of it? You didn't, you didn't get any conviction of the Holy Spirit? You didn't get any checkup? You didn't get any in inspection of your heart? You didn't get any, any word to put you in a position where you need to have more of his word in you? And does not do them will be like a foolish man. So which one do you want to be? Do you want to be a wise man or a foolish man? A wise man build his house on a rock. And everything can be thrown at you, but your house can stand. But if you're a foolish man and build your house on sand, the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell. Notice that there was no difference between the wise man and the foolish man, except for the fact that one built on sand, the other built on a rock. But the same circumstances that came, came to the one that built on sand, the same circumstances comes to the one that's on the rock. So no one is immune to the circumstances. You can't faith your way out of it. You can't confess your way out of it. The circumstances of life is going to come. But if you're on the rock, your house is gonna stand. But if you're on sand, it's going to be a great fall. And the rains descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. You can always tell the ones that have authority, and that is the scriptures. Because when you come with the scriptures, there's no way around it. You see, one of the things that we have to come to an awareness is, is that there is no negotiation with the word of God. It's either you do it or you don't do it. There is no, well, I'll get to it one day. No, 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 no. You need to get to it yesterday. There is no negotiation with the word of God. Once the word of God is preached, you have to make a decision. And the best decision that you can make is be obedient to the word. Go back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. And so here we're going to understand the differentiation between the ones that are wicked and the ones that are in righteousness. Look at verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from, heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In other words, there is no mixture. You can't pour water into God and dilute him. You can't tell light to have a shade of gray. It's either light and right or darkness, which one of the two are you? You can't partially practice righteousness and partially practice sin and then call yourself righteous. That's just like darkness getting into light and darkness is saying, I'm light. We all know that that can happen. And 
light doesn't move. I mean, light, rather darkness moves at the first sign of light. Soon as light comes, darkness gotta move. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven. Depart from me, depart from me, you that practice lawlessness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, well, what is walking in darkness? Sin. Because sin is lawlessness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So when we're in that light as he is in the light, we're constantly being washed by the blood. We're constantly also being washed by the word. But in this passage, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And that's why I said what I said last Sunday, and that the blood of Jesus is not for protection because we do not see that in the Old Testament as a pattern. If you study the whole book of Hebrews, you will find that the blood of Jesus was, was all about appeasing sin, cleansing or atoning, covering sin, not protection. You don't see the children of Israel taking the blood and drawing a circle and say, this is a bloodline devil, you can't come in here. Now we all know that the book of Exodus speaks of the blood on the doorposts and the death angel passing over. But as far as a bloodline to keep the devil out, nope. You keep the devil out by practicing righteousness, by being obedient to the scriptures. Because see, Jesus is our Passover. That's what the Bible says in the book of Galatians. Jesus is our Passover for sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. We don't have Oh, well, we can sin anytime we want because he'll forgive us card. The whole objective of the grace of God is to keep us from sinning against him ever again. But notice what he says here in continuance. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Do not ever think or, or put in your heart and in your mind that you got away with it. No, you didn't. You need to repent. You need to get cleansed with the blood and walk in the word. Verse 2, and he himself is the propitiation or the appeasement for our sins. In other words, the satisfying atonement. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him. Can you see that? But he's showing us, this is how we know him. That he is the only true God and his son, the Lord Jesus. If we keep his commandments. We got to keep his word. Him that abides in his word is my disciple indeed, it says in John chapter 17, verse 1. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. Don't ever say that I love you, Lord, but you don't do his commandments. You're a liar. You're a liar. I mean, how would it sound if I say, Lord, I love you with my whole heart. I love you with my whole soul, and I turn on porn. I don't love them. 
I'm showing a defiance of him and I'm taking his grace for granted and I'm defying his word. He is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word, what does it mean to keep his word? It means to protect, guard. Don't allow anyone to take the word away from you. But whoever keeps his word, the truly the love of God, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. Go down, if you will, to verse 15. Do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you want to have the love of the Father in him? Don't love the things of the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. You've been listening to our Prevailing Word podcast channel on Anchor, Apple Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. Please check out our Prevailing Word Live YouTube channel. Links are also available on our Prevailing Word Ministries Facebook page. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.